0: Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. Listen now to the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. I'm so disappointed in myself. I keep forgetting to turn the mic on after 15 years of doing this. Sad. Welcome. Welcome. Again, just a reminder, uh, every Sunday morning, we have a Bible study workshop right over there, and uh, we had a really just a, a good time of learning together this morning, and so uh, those of you who couldn't make it today, uh, I would invite all of you to come and just have a time of uh, learning and sharing. And uh, we are now going to begin the third and last section of the New City Catechism. We have been... Um, Working through the, uh, we finished the first section on God, the second section on Jesus, and now we're going to begin the third and final section around the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're actually skipping question 35, which asks Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, where does this faith come from? And the answer is from the Holy Spirit, which leads us to today's question, number 36. Uh, What do we believe? About the Holy Spirit, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And the full answer is that He is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants Him to God grants Him irrevocably to all who believe. Um, but what we're going to memorize together is that He is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. So that's what we're going to uh, do today. Uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray now as we consider who you are, as we consider together the Holy Spirit, help us to better understand who you are, and so come to love you more, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. One of the best-selling books from 2010 that was made into a pretty popular movie in 2014 was Todd Burple's book called Heaven is for Real. Some of you may have read that or have seen that movie. It's about Todd Burple's four-year-old son named Colton who, during an emergency appendectomy, said that he went to heaven. And when he kind of miraculously recovered from the surgery, um, he shared with his parents and others about what he had seen. Now, of course, there are people who wonder if he really went or if he was just imagining it, you know, or it's a hoax. Like, that's not a question I want to get into today. But he described what he saw in heaven. He he believes sincerely that, that he went to heaven. And this is what he said. When he went to heaven, he saw Jesus who had these beautiful, pretty eyes, blue-green eyes, he said, riding a rainbow-colored horse. It's kind of nice. And he met people from the Bible like Samson and David and Mary, as well as people from his own family, um, a a grandfather that he never never met and a a baby sister, an older sister who had died that he didn't know about, but he met them and he recognized them somehow. And so... um, And the people that were there uh, were all sort of in their 20s and 30s. So like, um, that's if you're wondering what kind of bodies we're going to have, we're going to be in our our prime. So (laughs) that's good. Um, Now, if you go to their official website, under the frequently asked questions, is this interesting question. Questions that were uh, asked of him that he tries to answer. And one of the questions is this. Do God and the Holy Spirit Have wings. You may have never thought of God having wings. Colton says God the Father has wings, but the Holy Spirit does not. He describes the Holy Spirit as bluish and transparent. You can see through him. And even though you can't see a form or figure because he is almost ghost-like, Colton is very quick to point out that you know he is there and that you can recognize him. He is hard to describe, but you know he is there. Bluish and transparent and hard to describe, but you know he is there. Now again, regardless of whether you believe this was you know, an actual trip to heaven or it's the imaginations of a child. Um, I find his description of the Holy Spirit quite relatable and understandable. We Christians confess that we believe in a triune God. We believe in, we just sang, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? That's an orthodox, Confessional statement: We say that's what we believe, and when we say that, I know that our imaginations have been permanently um, brainwashed. Because when we think of God the Father, like for me, even now, like the first thing that pops into my head is, you know, Michelangelo Sistine Chapel, right? The, the guy with the the beard, you know, creating with Adam, right? That's the image of God the Father that I have. And then when I think of Jesus the Son. Again, it's the, the famous picture of Jesus, you know, the blonde hair with the blue eyes. That's, that's what, I know that's completely wrong, right? But that's, that's the image that I have uh, in my head. And so even though those are wrong kinds of uh, depictions, we at least have some understanding of what a father is and what a son is. Like, we can, we know what that means. We know what that means. So we can at least kind of imagine God, in terms of the way we relate to, maybe to a father or to a son, that there is something about a, uh, a personhood or a personality that we understand and imagine. But when you think about the Holy Spirit, or, you know, in the older language, the Holy Ghost, bluish, transparent, and hard to describe, you know, that's not far from what most people think of, right? The Holy Spirit's a sort of thing out there. A.W. Tozer said that the average Christian thinks about the Holy Spirit, he is likely to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke that is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they die. Gordon Fee, in his book on the Holy Spirit, said one of his students had a hard time with the Holy Spirit and described the Holy Spirit as a gray, oblong blur. Bluish or gray, transparent, Or a nebulous substance, a wisp of smoke that is invisible, or an oblong blur. It's hard to imagine the Holy Spirit. I think most of us, especially those of us from the Presbyterian persuasion, we don't really think a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. I know I don't preach very much about it either, and so... We imagine, I don't know what you imagine, but it, it, I think for a lot of people, it is a sort of kind of um, ambiguous kind of thing, right? The spirit somehow, not quite real or concrete. Um, maybe you imagine the Holy Spirit as a dove descending on, on Jesus. Or maybe you imagine the Holy Spirit like, like tongues of fire at Pentecost, and you have some of those kinds of ideas. But when you think of it that way, it's very hard to think of the Holy Spirit, as part of the triune God. Like, we understand and worshiping God, the Father, the Creator, and Jesus, the Son, the resurrected Lord, but then when you, like, how does the dove fit into those categories? How how is that a part of this awesome God that we we worship? It's hard for us to do that. Um, And the Apostles' Creed, which we learned, uh, and will continue to learn, doesn't help us very much here. We get a lot of information in the Apostles' Creed, about who Jesus is. And we get some about God. God is identified as the Father. He's the Creator. He's Almighty. But the Holy Spirit, we only get one very brief sentence. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Ghost. That's a period. That's it. There's nothing else. Now, in the Nicene Creed, which is actually quite more helpful, we get some more information we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophet. So, So we get a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is. But in our Apostles' Creed, all we get is we believe, or I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Now, all the stuff that comes after that, I believe in the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting, the communion of saints, all of that is supposed to be part of the Holy Spirit's work. And so we, we get a lot more, but we don't always make that connection. And so we think all we know about the Holy Spirit is that I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we're kind of left kind of, um, you know, we're, we're missing something here. We're missing something here. Um, but we need to know who the Spirit is because we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We, we don't want to kind of marginalize the Spirit to the edges and think only about God the Father and God the Son. And so uh, I hope today that this, we can have s- some better imaginations uh, about who the Holy Spirit is. Now again, it's kind of uh, unfair uh, for myself, for you, and really impossible to talk about the Holy Spirit in one sermon. Right? It's like Doing just one sermon on Jesus, or you know, it's it's really um, there's so much more that should be said and can be said. But so, but I want to at least begin this today, and I want to say today I want to kind of just focus on who the Holy Spirit is, and then next week I want to talk about um, the the Spirit's work in us and how the Holy Spirit helps us. So we we'll, we'll at least have two. Uh, sermons uh, about the Holy Spirit. So today I just want to focus on who the Holy Spirit is. And today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, and it comes from a section of the Gospel, chapters 14 through 17, which is known as the Farewell Address. It's the part of the Gospel where Jesus is giving his last words to his disciples because he knows he's about to go to Jerusalem, he knows he's about to go to the cross, and he can see that his disciples are very discouraged, they're confused. You know, they're, they're, they're anxious, they're worried, they're frightened. And so he's telling them, you know, I have to go, but I'm not going to abandon you. You will not be orphaned. In fact, when I go, I'm going to send you, I'm going to pray, and the Father will send you another advocate, someone else. And, and that's the word that he gives to his disciples. He says, I'm going to send you, or the Father will send you, a helper. He says another helper. And a few verses later in verse 26, Jesus says this helper is the Holy Spirit. So he's going to send you the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit is the helper. That's what he calls him, another helper. Now, what I want you to understand is when Jesus promises that the Father will send us another helper, it doesn't mean that somehow there was only God, there was only Jesus, and now all of a sudden, and beginning now, there's going to be the Holy Spirit. That's not what it means. The Holy Spirit, as the Catechism says, is co-eternal with the Father and the Son. I want you to be very clear about this. The Holy Spirit did not all of a sudden make an appearance at Pentecost, after the resurrection. The Holy Spirit has been around from the very beginning, just like God And just like Jesus, the Word. The Holy Spirit was there from the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So God is there from the very beginning. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we begin with, in the beginning was the Word. And we know that Jesus, the Word of God, was there from the very beginning and involved in creation, and the Spirit is there also in the beginning. So even though we think about God, the Father, the Creator, the Word, Jesus, was there also in the beginning, creating. Nothing was made without the Word. And we see here, too, now, that the Spirit also was there involved in creation. And and if you look through the Old Testament you will see that the Holy Spirit is working throughout that entire section of the Bible. It's not just beginning with Acts. There are over 100 references, or about 100 references, in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit. And what we discover about the Holy Spirit, now be clear here, it's not talking about, you know, some people think the Spirit is like some part of God, right? Like we have, you know, like, uh, let's have, you know, a good spirit or something, that, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an, a being, and it's talking about not something that we produce. It's not some sort of like having some spiritual power or anything like that. It's talking about someone on the outside, just like God is you know, transcendent. The Spirit of God is, is outside and comes to people, enabling the people of God for particular missions on a temporary basis. That is the work of the Spirit throughout the Old Testament for the benefit of of the community, whether it's in warfare to lead uh, the people to battle, whether it's to enable people with, you know, artistic powers to craft, you know, these beautiful uh, elements for worship. Um, and most importantly, the spirit is linked with the promise of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, God says. I have put my spirit upon him. I have put my spirit upon him. And so again, we see this connection of God, the spirit, and the Messiah, the word Jesus Christ. And then in the New Testament, again, we see the Holy Spirit working, present at Jesus' birth, hovering over Mary, and then again at Jesus' baptism, and then driving him into the desert for his temptation. The spirit is always around in the life and ministry of Jesus and has always been around. But now Jesus says the Father will send you the Spirit in a permanent sort of way that the Spirit was not present in earlier times. So that's really, I think, the difference. is now that the Spirit will be present permanently, forever Jesus says, in the community of Jesus. That's what's going on now. Co-eternal with the Father co-eternal with the Son. So we have to think right away, at least that means at the very least that the Spirit is also a person. Even though we're thinking of like a spirit, the Holy Spirit is also a person, not quite right, a personal being. Not just some sort of uh, energy or force. The Holy Spirit is God, fully God. He is Lord. Just as we say God is Lord and Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit is also Lord. And again, if you read through the New Testament, you will see that the name of the Holy Spirit and reference to the Holy Spirit, the same way that you talk about God is spoken about the Holy Spirit. Just to give you one example, in Acts 5, for example, there is a story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold a piece of land and then they brought the money to the apostles, but then they lied about how much money they actually got for it. And they they kept back some of the money. And and Peter calls them out on it. And this is what he says to them. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So the accusation is that he lied to the Holy Spirit. And then Peter goes on to ask, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. See? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And here he says, but you have lied to God. And so that, that connection, there's a direct connection between who that is. And of course, you know, in passages like Matthew 28, we are commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the one name of God. And every Sunday at the end of every service, I give you that blessing, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's one God. It's one God. I know, and it's, I know it's confusing when we talk about the Trinity, but it's one God and the Holy Spirit is as fully God as Jesus is God and God the Father is God. So uh, uh, we, we need to think about the Spirit in that sense and to treat the Spirit like we treat the Son and the Father, um, this co-eternal spirit. Now, Jesus calls this Holy Spirit the helper, or another helper. I know that we've done this uh, word study uh, many times before, but we, I want to do it again because it's, this is such an important word for us to know and to understand. The word that Jesus uses here um, in Greek is paracletos paracletos, and sometimes you may have heard the Holy Spirit call the paraclete okay the paraclete um, some people have joked that it sounds like a, a parakeet like or a paraclete, but it's the paraclete paraclete okay and a paraclete was someone that was uh, that would be for you your legal representative, your advocate in a court of law. That's what a paraclete was. So think like a defense lawyer if you're going to trial. He stands in your position, he represents you, he advocates for you before the judge. This is someone who will make your case on your behalf in front of a judge. That is a paraclete. That's one understanding, that's one usage of this word the Paraclete, But the word paraclete also had a broader usage and it was simply someone who could be of help to you, a helper, like Jesus says here, the way it gets translated. The word paraclete literally means someone who has been called alongside of you. Para, meaning next to or alongside, besides. In words like, we have like parachute or parachurch. And cleat from a kaleo meaning to be called. And so a, the paraclete, the helper, the advocate is someone who has been called to walk with you alongside. You, you with me? I know we've done this many, many times. Okay. And this is the word that is typically in its verb form gets translated in the Bible as to encourage or to comfort. To encourage or to comfort. Because that, that's what it is to walk alongside with you. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you use, you will see that this word paraclete gets translated as helper or as comforter, advocate, counselor, intercessor, encourager, strengthener, sounds like a shampoo thing, standby, mediator, and broker. Right? I mean, it's a very rich word. It's, it's got lots of different meanings. And so whenever you have a word that gets translated by so many different words, you know that it's, it's a word that you can't just use one word. It's just, it's just, it's just too big. There, there are too many facets to it. And so I, I think it's probably best to leave, this is one of those words that you just want to leave alone, just transliterate it. And so instead of saying helper or advocate or encourager, just say the paraclete. I will send you... The Father will send you another paraclete. Just just leave it like that. But um, no one does that. One of my favorite biblical scholars, Dale Bruner, he suggests that we translate this word as true friend. True friend. Because he asks, you know, what would you call someone who shows up for you in an emergency situation? Who is that? That's your true friend. And so that's his suggestion. And Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, the message, he translates it as also, he goes with friend. Not true friend, just, just friend. And so uh, they're getting at one piece of this um, idea of the paraclete. Now, as I said, not one word really captures this, but I, I do really like this idea of true friend as one of the ways to think about who the Holy Spirit is or what, uh, who the paraclete Is And this is something that um, I gave some thought this week. Because we know what a friend is. We might not know what the Holy Spirit is or, um, you know, how the Spirit connects with God the Father and the Son. But we know what a friend is. And so I think that might help us with our imaginations. Friend is much better than, you know, bluish and nebulous wisp. The true friend is someone who will go to bat for you, someone who will stand by you, someone that you can trust, someone who will make sacrifices for you, someone who will just simply hang out with you. And it's a true friend. It's a true friend, not just, right, because we live in an age when so much of our friendships are, are virtual and it doesn't cost you anything to be a friend on Facebook. You don't need more friends to just give you these meaningless and effortless, you know, likes. That's not your friend. This is a true friend. Someone who will go through life with you. Someone who who is going to uh, not just like you, but as a true friend, speak truth into your life when you need it. Hard truth sometimes that maybe you don't want to hear. Someone will tell you, you know, you're, you're messing up or you need to shape up. Or, you know, someone who can speak that hard word that you need to hear that maybe no one else is willing to speak. That's the paraclete. That's the paraclete. But as I said, you know, not one word really captures this. And and I think the the problem with this word, uh, true friend, as good as it is, um, it it doesn't capture the aspect of a legal advocate, someone who has power to stand on your behalf to to help you. Um, And you know, um, I am so thankful this week because every now and then, uh, it's very clear to me what God is trying to teach me and to share with you. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, I think, of course, God is trying to teach me every day, uh, but I think most times, um, I'm too dense to hear clearly what, what God is trying to say. But this week, this, it was so clear to me that this is God trying to explain to me the paraclete. Um, and so... Uh, I feel like I got some, a really good insight about this word, and it, you know it's been one of my favorite words. Um, so earlier this week, I had a chance, i uh, just happened by uh, divine providence or, or coincidence, um, to hear about uh, Oprah's book club's summer selection uh, book choice. Um, and uh, she recommends uh, this book called The Sun Does Shine. The Sun Does Shine. And it's an incredibly powerful memoir uh, written by and about Anthony Ray Hinton, who was falsely accused of multiple murders and spent nearly 30 years in Alabama's death row. He was completely innocent of all the charges and the evidence against him, it was, it was just a joke. But he was convicted simply because he was poor and couldn't really afford a good legal uh, counsel and because he was black. That's it. And so once the accusation was made because of the broken and racist criminal system, there there was no way he was going to get out of it. And the system made sure he stayed on death row. Even when the state of Alabama recognized that they had made a mistake years later, they refused to acknowledge it, and they refused to make any changes. Only 28 years later, after he was convicted, his case finally made it to the Supreme Court, and the judges unanimously recognized what a gross piece of injustice had been done to him, and he was released in 2015. I mean, when you read his story, it's just, it makes you so sad, and it makes you so angry. Um, that it's so broken and that it's hard to believe that this is still going on in in this country. Um, But it's a story that will also just just inspire you. Uh, I mean, can you imagine spending nearly 30 years of your life, 23 hours every day, in a 5x7 cell? Can, can Can you even fathom what that must be like? For a crime you did not commit, with no hope. Can you imagine living in that cell for 28 years and during that time you'll see f- more than 50 men pass by your cell on their way to execution? And, and he describes what that feels like and, and what that death looks like. The sound of the generator and, and the smell as, as people are being killed. And witnessing that, knowing that The day for your execution could come any day. Can you imagine having your appeals, knowing you're innocent, being rejected year after year after year after year for 28 years? And all that time, can you imagine somehow maintaining your sanity, having hope, having integrity, and even having kindness? For the people around you. Including your guards. He even somehow. After that initial shock. Managed to recover his faith. And he believed. Despite all the evidence to the contrary. That the truth would set him free. He clung to that promise. He he, he challenged God. He said God. I'm, I'm holding you to the promise. That the truth will set me free. That's what he prayed. That the truth would be known. And so he he even refused. There was a time when he could have accepted, uh, he could have bargained for life imprisonment without parole, but he refused to do that because then that would be to uh, admit that he was somehow guilty, and and he refused to do that. He said, I'd rather die for the truth because I did not do this. I mean, he's an incredibly incredible human being, just, just an amazing, amazing man. But as I read through his story, you also realize He had three people in his life, three paracletes who sustained him through his ordeal. First, his mother. Okay, she's his mother, so of course, right? But he said from her, he received unconditional love. She was a source of just constant comfort. Secondly, his lawyer. Not the original lawyer who basically just botched up his case, but a man named Brian Stevenson who took up his case 12 years after he was in prison and for 16 years just tenaciously fought through all the bureaucracy, just went, kept pounding and pounding and pounding the legal system until he was finally able to get it to the Supreme Court. Um, and it's just amazing that, that he stuck with it when, when it just seemed so hopeless. But here's a, here's a case. He advocated for him before the legal system. And third, his best friend Lester, his childhood friend, who visited him every single Friday during visiting hours. He was the first in line every Friday morning for 30 years. He said in 30 years, or the 28 years, he did not miss one single visitation day. That is a true friend. Can you imagine? Every single Friday, he came to visit him. You know, as I thought about his life, I thought, you know, there it is. There's the paraclete. Those three people, that combination of three people, comforter, advocate, and true friend. I thought, that's it. That's, that's the paraclete. The Holy Spirit is someone who comforts us when we are discouraged, someone who will advocate for us against the charges leveled against us, someone who will stand before God against Satan for us, and someone who will be with us, a true friend, day by day, every moment, now and forever until the end. And so, you know, just as one word doesn't really fully capture the paraclete, so maybe not one person can capture all of its aspects either, right? So so he had these three people, a a kind of trinity of the paraclete who sustained him through his ordeal. I, I think that's, for me, who the Holy Spirit is. And a reminder for me that that's who we need to be for others, either as a comforter or as an advocate or simply as a true friend. We need the paraclete, the Spirit of God. But we also need to be that for one another. Because that's who we are. We have been called to be alongside one another. And did you notice here that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another paraclete? The Father will send you another paraclete. Meaning, there's someone who came first. There has to be a paraclete before there's another paraclete. Now, the, the word that Jesus uses here, the paraclete, or the paracletos, as a verb appears uh, in many other places, but as a noun, the paraclete, it only appears five times. Four times in the farewell message, the address here in John 14 through 17. And only once does it appear outside of this. And that's in 1 John chapter 2, where it says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, helper, paraclete, With the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. So John identifies Jesus as the paraclete, as the advocate. He's the first one. So the Holy Spirit is another helper like Jesus. Do you understand? You with me, right? So Jesus now has to go to the Father. Jesus was their helper, their true friend, their advocate, but now he's going to the Father. But now this other Periclete, is going to be with them and us forever. You realize what this means now, right? You know, over the years, sometimes people will tell me, or people, maybe you've done this too, where you have this sort of wishful thinking that um, if only you could see Jesus, or you know, maybe, maybe if you had a time machine and you could go back in time, and if you could, just, if you could have just been with Jesus when he was walking the earth, if you could have seen the crucifixion, if you could have seen the resurrection, if you could have been there when he walked on water or raised Lazarus from the dead, if you had only seen it or had been there with Jesus, then you think, well, then, then I would really believe, then my life would be different, I would really have faith, and so on. And, and that's just, that's simply not true. I know you think it'll be different for you, but it probably wouldn't make any difference. Because there are a lot of people who saw all of that, And they had no faith. They rejected him. They refused him. It didn't make any difference in their lives. But that kind of thinking also, I think, reveals to us that we have not known or have experienced the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus Christ now. Makes him real for us now. He is another helper, another advocate, another true friend, as Jesus is. To know the Holy Spirit is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know the Father. Look at what Jesus says. I will ask the Father for the Spirit to be with you forever. Forever. He says, you know him. You know him. If you're my disciples, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Right now. He's with us. Last week I talked about the plural and singular use Here again, you know, it's very important for us to know the use here, again the plural. You all, disciples collectively as a group, you the church, you know him together. For he dwells with you all And he will be in you all. So the Spirit is not just some private possession that I have for myself. But that the Spirit, the paraclete, is with us, in us, among us, as a faith community. Jesus said, for where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am with you. This is why. He's not there, but the Spirit is there. Spirit is here. When Jesus says, um, his last words in, in Matthew 28, when he says, um, even to the ends of the earth, the ends of the age, I am with you. How is that possible when he's ascended into heaven? He is with us because the Spirit is with us. He is present with us. Next week, I want to talk about what this means for us, how the Spirit can be among us, in us, and with us, and how the Spirit helps us in our living. But today, I just want you to think about who the Holy Spirit is, the comforter, the advocate, the true friend, the one who, is, who makes the presence of Jesus real for us when he is not present. He will lead us in the truth just as Jesus Is the truth. I hope this helps us at least a little with our imaginations that the Spirit is more than, you know, bluish, transparent, and hard to describe. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Comforter, the Advocate, the True Friend. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that um, you are with us, that your very nature is to be in relationship, that just as you have been with your people from the very beginning, just as you were with us, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, so now you, God, the Holy Spirit, are with us. For you are the paraclete, our comforter, our advocate, our true friend. Help us to walk with you and to walk with one another. To be a paraclete for one another. For you enable us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, because-